0: Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shane Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke, back with my good, good friend, the one and only Tasha McNerney. Uh, We are talking about anesthesia and analgesia in itty-bitty kitty cats today. This is super fun. It's really interesting. Uh, I think a lot of us don't think uh, enough about these types of patients, but we certainly see them. What uh, What do you do for a cat that weighs less than one pound? Got you covered today. Guys, this is a great episode. Let's get into it
1: this is
0: your show we're glad you're here we want to help you in your veterinary career welcome to the cone of shame with dr andy rourke welcome back to the podcast my dear friend the original anesthesia nerd the one and only tasha mcnurney thanks for being here me again always always my pleasure um for those who don't know you you are uh, you are a lot of things uh, you are a wonderful lecturer you have been the vet tech uh, lecturer of the year at the VmX conference before um, I have met you uh, at conferences actually we met in Reno many years ago and I've seen you speak a number of times you and I have spoken together we did a um, Holland Oats themed track they gave us a whole track. To do something on vet, vet med lessons from Hall and Oates, Uh which I, I don't know. I, I don't know who signs off on these things, but... Uh, I know.
1: I don't know how that got approved when I, like, pitched it, but the fact that they were like, yeah, great. I, my only <laughs> regret is that you didn't, like, that we didn't do the whole, like, full-on costume. We of, did, like, yeah. Like, you as Oates, and me as Hall, and, like, you know...
0: I have a uh, It could have been so good. I know. I have Listen, a mustache now I could have worn.
1: I mean... We might need to resurrect this
0: it's yeah i i agree so anyway we have a we have a history of highs and lows we've made goofy internet videos (laughs) together uh but anyway you are also a uh, technician specialist in anesthesia analgesia and the founder of an enormous facebook group called the veterinary anesthesia nerds which also has its own conferences now and things like that is really uh, metastasized if you will and, uh, and it is, it is a, it's a force of good in the world. You do great things. Anyway, you are my go-to for in the trenches, on the ground, anesthesia, analgesia, uh, questions. And I've got one for you. Can I ask you about it? Of course. Let's do it. Oh, okay. Uh, this is a, a case that everybody's seen, but I just had it, uh, in, in all honesty, I just had it uh, a week or two ago. And uh, so I got this little black, Kitten. So, uh, it was about 0.8 pounds and it's just a black domestic short hair, uh, kitty cat. And someone had, had just found it beside the road and they brought it in and they said, I would like to have this cat and to get it cleaned up and give it a home. And I said, I think that's great and I want to support that. And as I look at this cat, uh, she has got a big swelling under her uh, right mandible. So on her neck, there's this big swelling and I go and I look and there's a draining track and as I squeeze it around. I think that there is a cuterebra in there. There's, there is some sort of parasite inside this draining track. It's not just infection. And so I've got this itty bitty kitten, true story, uh, less than one pound, probably four weeks old. And I just am wondering to myself. I don't want to ruin this cat. I, you know, I want. I don't, you know, fear free uh, all the way. And it's sort of like I want to make sure that I'm keeping this little booger comfortable because this is going to hurt. There's no way this doesn't hurt to have this thing pulled out of your neck, uh, especially if I have to open the the tract up a little bit to get to it. And so I just want you to go through with me, um, Tasha McNerney, talking about a cat like this size. Anesthesia, analgesia, how do you treat that? Give me some best practices. Help me make sure I'm doing a good job.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot of things. Um, First off, right off the bat, what I would want to know with this kitten is, uh, especially in the location that you're telling me, is there any way that we have compromised the airway? You know, um, we did have a kitten very similar to this uh, come into a practice I relief at. And Spoiler alert, you guys, this doesn't have a great ending, mm. uh, but it had multiple cuterebra. And one of them in the neck area had migrated enough that it had caused a tracheal rupture. And, uh, and euthanasia was chosen for that kitten just because surgical correction, um, even with surgical yeah. correction and a tracheal stent might not be. So again, that's always kind of in the back of my mind. Do we yeah. have Has it kind of compromised our airway in any way? If so, we still can work with it.
0: Thanks for giving me something new to worry about uh, uh, that. That had never crossed my mind before. And now I'm like, oh, now I got that to worry about. Thank you for that.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's vet med. There's always something new to worry about.
0: <laughs> Let me tell you something you never even considered that I've seen before. Oh, God. Yeah. All right. Okay. No, I'm on All board. Right, so let's note say, self. you
1: know, go to self. Just just make sure that that uh, trachea um, again, you don't have to go through like a full on like, let's get a CT again, unless you're just feeling really ambitious um, but other than that, if you, if you feel like your airway and, uh, pulmonary wise, we are okay. Yep. Uh, all of anesthesia is preparation. Um, uh, I know that a lot of people think that anesthesia is kind of boring, uh, in the sense that a lot of these procedures were like sitting and monitoring and just writing stuff down. There's not a lot of movement, fast paced action. Uh, and listen, all of anesthesia is just preparation to make sure that we don't have fast-paced action, once the animal gets onto the table. Uh, we wanna make sure that we are planning as much as possible. And for a little kitten like this, uh, four weeks, around four weeks old, around a, a pound in weight, this is really tiny. So we wanna plan correctly. And again, a full physical exam as much as we can. These little guys are really dependent on heart rate in order to maintain that cardiac output. And remember, we need cardiac output to be maintained because our blood pressure is dependent on cardiac output. So for these little guys, they kind of come in with that high heart rate. The whole thing during anesthesia is I want to keep that heart rate as close to normal or even a little bit higher as possible, because as my heart rate gets uh, lower and lower or the patient gets bradycardic, that's going to drop my cardiac output. And the reason we care about that is that cardiac output is going to influence oxygen getting delivered to the things that we care about, the liver, the kidneys, the brain, et cetera. Also with these guys the pulmonary reserve is limited, right? So they can get hypoxic faster. So these guys definitely always make sure if you're giving them any kind of drugs or sedative, it's in the presence of oxygen. You have right. supplies ready to go to, be in t- to intubate them. Now, these guys are ones that I'll tell you, um, sometimes I'll use them in birds and reptiles, but for these really tiny little guys, I might choose an uncuffed, endotracheal tube, like an appropriately fitting uncuffed endotracheal tube. So that way I don't have to put a tiny tube in and then push, uh, that, uh, reservoir cuff on the endotracheal tube because, you know, too much pressure on these little guys can cause some tissue necrosis in that trachea. So these, I have a selection of not only cuffed, but also uncuffed tubes for them as well. Now these guys also again, everything's underdeveloped. So that's what you just got to plan on. Their sympathetic nervous system is also underdeveloped. So that means that drugs that are going to work on the sympathetic nervous system. So again, things like ketamine, uh, telazole, that kind of stuff. Um, those drugs usually will get a sympathetic response and we see an increase in heart rate and a little bit of increase in cardiac output with them. But we don't tend to use ketamine and teletamine in these really tiny patients. Again, because that sympathetic nervous system is underdeveloped, they don't have the same response that a adult uh, or an animal of maturity would have. Also, these animals get very high hypoglycemic fast. Mm -hmm. So before I give any drugs, I want to check a BG and make sure... Uh, that we're in range. And I want to be ready to supplement with dextrose as needed. Uh, Again, we're constantly checking BGs. Now with a cuterebra patient, hopefully they're not going to be under anesthesia or sedation for a long period of time. Uh, But certainly I have done some amputations on very tiny, tiny little guys where they might be, you know, under anesthesia for up to an hour and work every 15 minutes checking BGs on them. Also with these guys, thermoregulation is going to be a big one. So before you get this patient sedated, you want to plan on how are we going to keep them warm, whether that's a bear hugger, whether that is just, you know, covering their um, the body in bubble wrap and providing either active or passive warming. You want to have a plan for warming because in these little guys, that larger surface area to body weight ratio means that they're going to lose heat much faster. And then if you intubate them, you almost always are putting these little guys on a non-rebreather. And remember that that high flow of oxygen from a non-rebreather is going to com- uh, it is going to contribute to them getting colder faster as well. So just be ready with a plan for thermoregulation. If you have the opportunity to, uh, if it's a planned procedure, you know they're going to come in. Again, with the hypoglycemia and et cetera, the fasting recommendations for these guys are no more than three hours. So we want to make sure that they have not been, these are not patients we like you know, fast for eight hours or even overnight, we, we really don't want to do fasting with these guys. Once we have all of our stuff together, right? You have your stuff for intubation, you have your oxygen, you know, your your heat support protocol, all that. If you want to talk about drugs, um, again, I already mentioned that I probably would stay away from things like ketamine, teletamine, uh, which is a component of telazole. Um, but maybe I'm going to go with an opioid. And usually the pure mu opioids, whatever is your opioid du jour at your clinic, maybe you are a hydro clinic, maybe you're a methadone clinic. Again, I always say dealer's choice when it comes to mu opioids. I am equal opportunity opioid. So if you want to do hydro or methadone, whatever it is, the nice thing is that it's reversible. So we just tend to go a little bit lower on our dose. But opioids are pretty safe for these guys. Now, if you give a big dose or if you're giving fentanyl IV, you might see a reduction in heart rate. And again, these guys are really dependent on heart rate. So I always have a dose of anticholinergic drawn up and ready to go for these patients. And in some cases, especially in the neonatal, not in this case, but a really tiny brachycephalic patient, because of their high vagal tone, this is the one area of patients where I'm, I am going to put glycopyrrolate into their pre-med to kind of offset any of that reduction in heart rate and therefore reduction in cardiac output. So I always have a dose of anticholinergic. Now, some clinics don't have glycopyrrolate; You might have atropine. So again, whatever you have at your clinic, just make sure you have a dose of anticholinergic drawn up and ready to go. Not like over there on the shelf <laughs> in the same room with you, but actually calculated, drawn up, ready to go with these. And then the next thing that we consider is if we're going to put a catheter, if we're going to intubate them, you know, you can give them an opioid and then a local anesthetic, just like a little bit of lidocaine just around the area of the cuterebra to cut those, uh, those pain signals going to the brain for when you actually have to open and widen it and like that pop, pull that cuterebra out. So I like a combination of opioids and local anesthetics. Uh, definitely some flow by oxygen and ready to intubate as needed. Again, the timing of these procedures, you could make the case that, you know, intubation in itself, because it has complications, this might not be warranted. But certainly if you were dealing with something like an amputation or a longer procedure, you would want to intubate these patients to have control of their airway. Um, if you needed something a little bit more, there's always uh, alfaxalone, which you could give a small dose of alfaxalone IM. Now again, with alfaxalone, you're not providing any pain control, and alfaxalone is one of those drugs that if you do use it IM, which is still which is off label in the US but on label in New Zealand and Australia, if you're using alfaxalone IM, just remember, alfaxalone doesn't play nice by itself. Alfaxalone needs a buddy. It needs a friend. Now that friend can be an opioid. That friend can be something like medazlam. But alfaxalone doesn't go well by itself. When we use alfaxalone IM by itself, you tend to see nystagmus, muscle tremors, which some people mistake for seizures, etc. So that's why I always say, make sure if you're giving alfaxalone, you're pairing it with something else. And in this case, we would be. We right, we'd be giving this kitten a, an opioid of some sort. Does that all sound good? <laughs>
0: that all that all sounds good. So that's a, there's a lot there that all matches up. Um I'm frantically taking notes over here. Yeah, that that's really helpful. Hey everybody, I'm just jumping in with two lightning fast updates. Number 1, if you have not gotten signed up for the get Done short-handed virtual conference in October. It's October sixth through the eighth. You need to do that if you are feeling overwhelmed in your practice. If you want things to go smoother and faster. If you do not want to watch webinars, you want to actually talk about your practice. You want to do some discussion groups. You want to do some workshops where you actually make things and work on things and ask questions as we go along and have roundtable discussions and things like that. That's really going to energize you and help you figure out actionable solutions that you can immediately put into practice to make your life simpler and more. Or relaxed. I got you covered, buddy, but you don't want to miss it. Go ahead and get registered. Mark yourself off at the clinic for the time so that you can be here and be present and really take advantage of this. I don't want to sneak up on you. I know October seems like a long way away. It's not, but go ahead. I'm going to put a link down below and then when registration opens, we'll let you know it's open and you can grab your spot, but you do not want to sneak up on you. Check out our Get done shorthanded conference it's going to be a great one the second thing I'm going to tell you about is uh, Banfield thank you to Banfield the hospital for making transcripts of this podcast available you can find them at drandywork.com they are totally free and open to the public and Banfield supports this to increase accessibility and inclusion in our profession it's a wonderful thing that they do guys that's all I got let's get back into this episode You have a thermoregulation preference for an itty bitty like this? Is there something that you think is more effective with something so tiny? I I imagine this little speck disappearing underneath a bear hugger. You know, and like kind of hovering over top of the, of the kitten uh because there's just there's just so so little there. Yeah, do you have um give give me some advice. Or do you even if it's just uh you say dealer's choice, even if it's personal preference, what do you like for helping maintain body temperature in bitties?
1: Yeah, these really tiny ones um I do still think that uh an active warming such as like a hot dog or a bear hugger or a warm water blanket is the way to go. Okay. Um certainly As you said, we can't use a regular, even the small size bear hugger blanket. This kitten is going to disappear under, but we can. um, A lot of people, if you have bear hugger blankets in your practice, um, they come with these little plastic inserts and most of the time people just throw them away. I'm going to tell you. Don't throw them away, okay? You can actually use the plastic uh, sticky things that come in with it. They come with a bear hugger so that you can put the plastic around and they actually help to like uh, seal in the juices as far as the heat goes. But again, most people just throw them away. Don't. Keep them around because you can stick them kind of like long ways over your patient. And then you can just finesse the bear hugger output or the warm air output underneath this plastic. And again, you could use something like bubble wrap as well, and then provide the bear hugger underneath that. But usually I have a, I have it on each side. So I might have a warm water blanket, warm water circulating blanket underneath the patient. And then I might have the bear hugger or even a a hot dog around it. Now, I will say I'm a fan of the hot dog. What I like about it is that um, unlike the bear hugger, you know, you don't have to worry about things blowing around your surgical site. And The nice thing is for these really tiny patients, the hot dog does actually make a very tiny size hot dog blanket. It is adorable (laughs) if you have the chance to see it, but it's made for like hamsters and gerbils. So it's really tiny and it will wrap around the patient to provide active warming. So if you have a hot dog in your practice already and you are dealing with small cats and kittens, I would say invest in one of these um, because it is really nice to wrap them around. And again, it's just freaking cute.
0: All right. I feel good about that. So I I've done good about all of this, honestly. Uh, so up to our procedure, this this all makes sense. I can lay all this stuff down. I have everything in the clinic. This is this is perfect. This is really, really great. Do you have any uh, advice on analgesia post procedure?
1: Yeah. So for these guys, analgesia post procedure. I mean, hopefully here's the thing. Unfortunately, what you're going to be dealing with is some inflammation and we just don't have or at least I would say that I would be a little bit uncomfortable giving something that's four weeks of age and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. Right. So uh, with this patient, you could consider uh, things like oral transmucosal buprenorphine for analgesia. Um, if you have gabapentin formulated, uh, please note that I'm not saying that gabapentin will be the sole analgesic, but gabapentin uh, can help these patients feel better, provide a little bit of sedation, et cetera. Also, for inflammation, if you have in your practice and you are able to do a session or two before the patient leaves, something like a low level laser therapy uh, on the anti inflammatory setting is a nice, again, non pharma adjunct for these patients. Um, But really, you know, cats are just amazing in how fast they can bounce back. Uh, I think the biggest thing with this is with these little guys is that. As long as you're maintaining their heart rate and their cardiac output, again, which, oh, you know what? Just means no dexmedetomidine. I know you're all tempted, uh, but and it's my favorite drug, um, but in these guys, we would make sure we avoid dexmedetomidine or something like that. But for post, you can usually these heal up pretty quickly. I like to do laser therapy and uh, gabapentin, if you can get it compounded. So that your dosing would be accurate, like it'd be hard to give this little tiny kitten a tablet or a quarter <laughs> or an eighth of a tablet. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. At some point, you're just kind of scraping powder. Uh, yeah. That, that yeah. That's no good. All right, perfect. Man, that's super great. Tasha McNerney, you are amazing. Thank you so, 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 so much for being here. Where can people find you online? Where can they learn more if they like to geek out about anesthesia?
1: Yeah. So if you are on Facebook, uh, we run the Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds Facebook group. Uh, I always tell people that if you're not on Facebook, this is not the reason to get on Facebook. If you've avoided <laughs> Facebook this long, I, I, I mean, I applaud you. Like you're probably living the life, man. Um, So we are on Facebook. We also are going to be having a conference within a conference this year. So if you are going to or if you're thinking about heading to Fetch in San Diego in December, the Anesthesia Nerds are going to be running their conference inside of the Fetch conference. So we're going to have two days of nothing but anesthesia and pain management. We're doing a regional nerve block wet lab to teach people some more advanced kind of ultrasound guided regional nerve block techniques. Um, and we're going to do basic nerve blocks as well, but like all things nerve block. So, um, that's going to be coming out, uh, our links to register for that pretty soon.
0: That's outstanding. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks again for being here guys. Take care of yourselves. Uh, have a wonderful week and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks. And that's our show. That's what I got for you gang. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. If you are listening on a podcast, Uh, Leave us a review wherever you get podcasts. Tell your friends. That's how people find out about the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. Really appreciate your help. Gang, take care of yourselves. I'll talk to you soon.